All right, good morning, everyone. Good morning, Clarksburg. Um, <clears throat> super glad that we are joining with one another together this morning. Um, we're diving into a new series on the book of Ephesians. We actually, uh, if, you're, if you don't follow us on Instagram, uh, we've been trying to put some, some great content out there that might be valuable to people. But one of the things that we did recently, uh, right after Easter, was we actually put a poll out on our Instagram stories. And we asked you all, hey, what do you want to talk about next? Like, do you want to talk about a book of the Bible? Do you want to talk about a theme? Do you want to talk about a spiritual practice? What do you want to talk about? And uh, from the people that respond resoundingly, people were like, we want to talk about a book of the Bible. So I went ahead and I picked my favorite book of the Bible. Well, my favorite New Testament letter book of the Bible. And so we're going to talk about the book of Ephesians. Um, so we're going to spend a little bit... <clears throat> Of time in the book of Ephesians, which again, one of my favorites. I think the 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 way that um, the gospel is laid out in the book of of Ephesians is so pertinent and so powerful to all of us. And so I'm really glad that we're diving into this. Uh, Ephesians comes about because after the resurrection of Jesus, there's this guy, the Apostle Paul, who is a follower of Jesus. He wasn't at first, but he became a follower of Jesus. He winds up traveling all around the world like he just feels compelled to be sent into all of these different spaces to tell everyone about the good news of the resurrection of Jesus so he goes into all of these different cities and in every city he goes to and he stays there and he finds people who become believers they also say I too believe in Jesus when they hear him proclaim and demonstrate the good news of Jesus People become believers, and so Paul begins to establish these churches or these congregations um, in all the places that he was sent to by the Holy Spirit. So eventually, Paul winds up in prison. Why does Paul wind up in prison? He winds up in prison because when you start preaching the good news that there is a new kingdom that has come to earth that is greater than the current kingdom, lots of people in power get really mad about that right? So like when we say, hey guys, listen, there is a kingdom that has come to earth that exists right now and is coming in greater and greater fullness that is bigger than the United States of America, some people start to get upset about that. And when you say that it's bigger than any power or principality or president or political party or anything, some people start to get really upset about that. And that's exactly what happened in Paul's day. Paul started preaching that there was a new kingdom that was greater and bigger than the current kingdoms that existed on earth. And people who were in power got upset. And so they imprisoned him. They put him in prison, but Paul can't stop, won't stop. And so he kind of was like, listen, if my body can't go, I will send my words. And so from prison, Paul begins to write all of these different letters to these congregations in order to instruct them and encourage them and teach them. Now, some of these letters were so good and so encouraging and so masterfully put together that when the church would receive, when a congregation would receive that letter, they'd be like, oh man, this is too good to keep to myself. Hey, you got to check this out. And they would begin to pass these letters all over the place. Now, we have about 27, no, there's less than 27. Oh my gosh, the number escapes me right now. But there are a good number of letters that we have from Paul that Paul wrote to these churches. But he wrote so many more than the ones that we have that have currently made up, uh, that are kept in the New Testament Christian Bible that we have. 
Instead, the letters that were passed around the most, they sort of said, hey, these are the best ones. We're going to have these ones be bound together, and we're going to say that this is a part of our New Testament scriptures, and that's how we got the Bible that we have today. Now, one of those letters that got passed around a whole bunch was in, that's now in the Bible was a letter that we call Ephesians. Now, it's interesting that we call it Ephesians. There's, in the very beginning, it does say Paul does address the church in Ephesus, which the Ephesians, it's to the Ephesians, the church in Ephesus, right? But what's interesting is, in all the other letters that Paul writes to, he names specific people that were in those places because he had a relationship with them. When we get to the book of Ephesians, he actually doesn't name any specific people, even though he spent three years in Ephesus. And so for some reason, at some point, Ephesians and Ephesus gets attached to this book and this letter, but this letter was probably written way more generally to every congregation that exists, which is great because what that means is it is a letter for every congregation in every age, including ours right now. This is a letter that speaks to you and it speaks to me, it speaks to us. And in this letter, Paul summarizes the whole gospel story, and then right in the middle, there's this huge bridge word, therefore. And then he begins to talk about how that whole gospel story actually affects every single one of our stories. So as we go through this, you're going to see that in Ephesians chapter 1 through 3 is all about this big picture of the gospel story. And then we get to this, therefore, and then we head into chapters 4 through 6, and it's all about, listen, if this is the gospel story, therefore, this is all of our story. This is how this plays out in every single aspect of our life. Now, when we get to that part, be prepared, because what's going to happen is we're going to feel poked and prodded, and it's not going to feel real cushy and nice, because that's Paul's point. That the gospel changes everything. The gospel, the kingdom of the, that is proclaimed in the gospel, shifts our whole kingdoms upside down. So we're going to dive into the beginning in chapter 1. Now, uh, in the beginning that uh, Paul starts off, um, I actually I have these little printed pages of... Um, of uh, the passages, the verses we're going to look at today. Now, if you have your Bible with you and you want to use your Bible, that's totally fine. Um, in a few minutes, I'm going to ask you to write some things and like circle some words and stuff like that. If you have your Bible and you're like, I don't do that in my Bible, that's totally fine. I am a huge proponent of writing in your Bible and taking notes and scribbling things and drawing arrows and all that kind of stuff. But if that's not you, that's okay. Or if you don't have your Bible, you can go ahead and use this here uh, and you can take notes and we'll look at all of those things. But what you have on that piece of paper in the original language was one sentence. One really long, really complex, really eloquent sentence. There is not a single translator who has tried to turn that one long sentence in Greek into one long English sentence or any other language for that matter. It's near impossible. And so what a lot of scholars have done when they see that one long, really long sentence is they've done what we often do in English. They say, it's a poem. Oh, that's supposed to be funny. <laughs> so this poem, long, 
on, on sentence, uh, starts this way. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, Paul is going to, in this whole passage, he's going to summarize the gospel. But this is sort of his introductory phrase. phrase, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, what this phrase means, what Paul is getting at with this first English sentence that is of his one long, very long sentence, is listen, Paul wants you to know what is important to know about this gospel is that the gospel, the good news, has nothing to do with what we do for God. This gospel starts first with what God has done for us, that God has blessed us not because of anything we've done, and not because of anything we've done for God, but, but this is all, the biggest thing about the good news is what God has done for us. And so we want to start right there that we understand that when Paul is writing about the gospel, we get it. This is about God blessed us. God blessed us. And the tense of this uh, phraseology of this sentence is really important too. It's not that we bless him or we sacrifice to him or we obey enough and then in the future God will bless us. This actually is in the past tense. God blessed us. It is done. It has happened. It's over. This is a big statement. He blessed us absolutely and totally. It gets even bigger when we actually understand what that word blessed means. It's not sort of he well wishes us. He hopes you do well. Hope you do good on that test, right? That's not what this is. When God says that he has blessed us, it's more like the Hebrew word shalom. It's peace. It's this right order. It's everything is in its perfect spot. Every joy and benefit that your heart and soul longs for, you have. God blessed us. What does that mean? Like for me, I was thinking about this last night as I was reviewing this and really like trying to preach it to myself and thinking about, do I actually feel that way? Uh, randomly, this guy drove up to my house in a Tesla yesterday and I happened to be outside and I started yelling, Zach, you got me a Tesla! The guy got out, it was like a candidate or whatever. He was handing out pamphlets. And he got out and he was like, yes, I brought you a Tesla. I was like, thank you. He did not. He brought me a pamphlet. It was, it was very sad. Uh, so anyways, I, but I was like, you know, he's blessed us. I don't have a Tesla. What does this mean? And what Paul does in this next uh, run-on sentence is he tries to help us understand what does this blessing mean? What does it mean for every longing of our heart to be satisfied in God? What, do, what does that mean? What does that mean? Now, in the translation, um, when it gets translated, there's a recurring phrase that gets repeated. It's actually two words that get repeated over and over and over again because what the translators don't want you to miss in the original language is how all of these blessings happen in Christ. 
And so what I want you to do is, as we read through this passage, what I want you to do is I want you to circle every time it says, in Christ, or every time it sort of like alludes to like, in the beloved, or something like that, like in the one, in the whatever, right? Anytime we do in, you're going to go ahead and you are going to circle that. Now, I, um, I'm going to have you do some of your own like exegetical work today, which you don't, it's a fancy word, but what that means is essentially, it's like you reading the scripture and trying to understand what it means, and the reason why I'm like passing this off to you is because it is not just my job to feed you scripture, it is my job to help you learn how to feed yourself, right? How you can like open scripture and you can be like, oh, let me try that technique that Beth did. We're going to, seems to be a reoccurring phrase. We're going to circle it and see why it might be there, okay? So let's go ahead. We're going to read this together. You're going to circle anytime it says in Christ or in him in the anointed one, okay? So we're going to start, we'll start back at the beginning. Uh, Praise be to the God, ready? Uh, Verse three. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, okay? So you can go ahead and circle that. We'll keep reading. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth and under Christ. In him, we also are chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to, the, to his praise and his glory. All right, you think you got it? Okay, so you just circled all the in Christ, in him, all that kind of stuff. Um, but you might have been so focused on getting the in hymns and getting the in Christ that you're like, yeah, but I still don't know what it means. And if that is where you're at, that's okay because it's a little confusing. Totally, you are not alone in that. So what I'm going to have you do now is actually like team up with somebody around you. And I'm actually going to have you pick out uh, the seven blessings that are articulated in here. And the reason I did the in hymns first is because the in hymns are typically connected to one of the blessings, right? So that should give you a clue. So you're going to underline the blessings in Christ. You got it? All right, go. I'm going to give you like three minutes, so work quickly. Yeah, Patrick, be familiar. 
Did you? Oh, that's fun. That's good.
Thank you, Valencar. <laughs> okay, for those of you who are online, we just did chosen, and we did verse four that God chooses us for the creation of the world. I made this really good point about dodgeball and being picked last. It was killer, and, uh, and uh, that God chooses you. The next one is he adopted us. In verse 5, it says that God destined us to be adopted as his children through the covenant Jesus and anointed and guaranteed in his sacrificial life. Now, here's something that's super important. Actually, uh, when this gets translated in the NIV, it says that he, we were adopted as his sons, right? Uh, in other translations, they try to say, like, adopted as his children, which is fine. Like, they're trying to make a gender-neutral statement. But what's really important here to understand is in the original language, it's much more powerful than just like, oh, we're all whatever. We're all gender-neutral, all that stuff. And, and what, what, what? Paul is trying to say here when he actually says you've been adopted as sons, he's saying, listen, even you women, you've been adopted as sons because in that time period, in that context, and in that culture, only sons could inherit. Only sons could get the riches. And so what Paul is saying is regardless of your gender, regardless of anything about your anatomy, regardless of how you feel inside, regardless of any of those things, how you identify any of those things, Jesus has sort of said, like, you get it all. You are my kid that I will lavish all of my riches, and I will pour them out on you. And it was for his pleasure and his will for us. All of this flows from God that we inherit all that Jesus is, all that Jesus has. That's incredible. He's adopted us. In verse 7, it says that he's redeemed us. He's redeemed us. Um, I have a friend that lives in New York City, and uh, the other day his car, it wasn't the other day, it was like several months ago, but I held on to this. Uh, his car got impounded. He parked somewhere he wasn't supposed to. His car got impounded. He came back. Um, he was actually preaching a sermon, and when he came back, his car was gone, and he was like, that's not fair. I was doing the Lord's work. <laughs> like, why is my car gone? But he came back. The car had been impounded, so he had to go back to the impound lot. He had to pay the $150 fee or whatever it was in order to, like, get the car back. And they hand him this little piece of paper and that says, basically, it's the receipt, right? And on that, it didn't say paid, and then he takes that and he goes gets his car. The, the receipt didn't say paid. The receipt said redeemed. It said redeemed, and he was like, what a strange word for the city of New York to be using, <laughs> redeemed. And basically what it was is it's not just that it was paid, it was, it was that now I have, I have gotten back, I have set free the car. The car is no longer imprisoned. Like, it's been paid for, but also paid for so that it can be set free. And that's really what every single one of us in Christ, we have been set free. We are no longer slaves. So the things that hold us back, the chains that keep us bound, the memories that keep us playing the same tapes over and over and over again, redeemed. We have been set free and redeemed through Christ's death and resurrection on the cross. We have been purchased back. And then Paul continues, he said, he, you've been forgiven. This is another blessing. You've been forgiven. Whatever it is has gotten in the way between your relationship and God's, 
whatever has stood between you, whatever has stood between you and another person, those things have been forgiven. Whatever animosity once was is gone. And verse 9, it also says that we now know the will of God, which is a tricky one for me because um, how many of you struggle to know what you're doing with your life? I mean, here's my favorite. I'm going to just call out Faith. Faith, like, put her hand up, right? And here's what I love about that. Most of the time, the what am I doing with my life is a question that, like, college students think that they are supposed to figure out. And I want you to know if you are a college student. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. We don't, we don't know. And yet, what Paul tells us is that one of the blessings we have in Christ is that we know God's will. We may not know what we're doing with our life in terms of our job and how we're going to make money and all that stuff, but we know what our call is. We know that we have been sent to be a blessing. We know that we are here to proclaim the good news of Jesus. We know that we exist to delight in God's pleasure. We know that we are here to enjoy the one who has created us. We know that. We know that. And that's a blessing that we have. And then in verse 10, Paul continues and he says, like, in Christ there's unity. Which this is a big one, especially as I reflect on sort of like the current events that are happening uh, in Russia and Ukraine. There's unity. When I reflect on the current events that exist within my own larger demographic family, unity, right? This is a huge claim. And what it says in verse 10 is that Christ is bringing all things into unity. That they may not be there, but he will continue to reach their fulfillment and they will bring unity to all things on heaven and on earth. And so in those moments where I look at the news, in those moments where I feel that, that striving and that struggling between peoples, I can look at that and I can remember, in Christ, we're moving towards unity. The seventh one is in verse 12. It's that we get to be a part of the praise and the glory. This one, at first, I didn't see when I was reading the scripture. I didn't sort of pick it out. But what I found was fascinating is that we get to be a part of this whole thing. That it's not some cosmic thing that happens in front of us. We enter into all of this divine drama that's happening. And, and here's why that was so significant. Uh, last Saturday, um, I was invited by a friend to go to the, I'm going to say it wrong, and Zach was like, don't say it wrong, and I'm going to say it wrong. A kite festival? Should I just say a kite festival? It was an Indian kite festival <laughs> at Black Hills, okay? It was an Indian, oh, but I want to say it. Yeah, Don't say it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it was called Rangapsang. Is that right? Yes, I did it. I did it. I did it. <laughs> okay, it was, at, it was at Black Hills. Okay, and this is my kite that I got, and I was so excited. So I bought this kite. You get three for $5 or something like that. And at first I was like, wow, that's really, like, you get a lot of kites for $5. Here's why. Because you get them stuck in trees, like, all over the place. 
and they're super fragile. Like my dog ate one of them before I could even get it in the air. Like it was just a mess. Um, oh, I had so much fun at this kite festival. It was really great. So what happens is um, I've wanted to go for this for several to this kite festival for several years. I've seen advertisements um, about it, and and I've always felt a little bit out of place. And so at the last minute, I always cancel because I'm like, oh, I'm not Indian. I don't know what I'm doing, right? But I had a friend of mine who is Indian invite me to this kite festival, and I was so excited to go. There was amazing Indian food. Like the whole place is filled with like all these people, and they're all celebrating. There's music and performances like Indian culture has a huge performance culture so like any big things you gather together and there's always dances and there's always music and it's so fun right great food um and then and then they have the kites and um so here's what I did uh they give you the kite but they don't tie the string on and there's a very special way you have to tie the string on I'm giving you way too much detail of all this but I just was really excited about it so um they don't tie it on and uh and so I was trying to tie it on and I'm like I, so I was, trying to, I was trying to get the kite in the air, and the only re way I could was like rodeoing the kite, like going around and around. Oh, look at that. These, the great thing about these kites, they're so light, they fly really easily. Okay, so I'm like rodeoing it, and I'm like, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. This guy finally comes up to me, and he's like, no, you're not. Like, <laughs> can I help you? So he ties my kites for me, and which was really, really nice of him and really great. So I finally got it up in the air. Um, but then, after the kite flying thing, then uh, we, they started the color ce celebration. They started the color celebration. And what happens is it's, uh, you have these very pigmented powdered colors, very similar to the color run, except even more vibrant. And, um, and what's interesting about it is, unlike our color run that we did on Easter, where like everyone's like throwing the color on each other and running away and like trying to not get color on you, what they do is it's like, it's like um, they take some in their hands and they go up to people and it's super gentle and they just kind of rub it on your face and rub it on your shoulders, except that, at least that was my experience. There were some people that were just getting dumped in color and that was happening, but my experience, but like people I don't know would come with these pigmented colors and they'd come up to me and they'd say, happy holy, and they would rub the paint on and I'd be like, oh, yes, put the, yes, I want to be colored too, yes, put it on me, it's great, it's happy holy, happy holy, so I asked my friend, like, okay, wait, just real quick, what is happy holy, like, what are we doing here, what is happening, and she explained that this was the merging of two um, big celebrations that happen in India, there's the kite festival and the color festival, and they put them together here in the United States, or here in this area, in order to celebrate them together, and it's, it's a festival of spring, it's a festival of spring. It's called Holy. It, and so I looked it up, and I was like, okay, what, what does this look like, and what are, what are we doing, what are we talking about? Okay, so it's a festival. I looked it up. It's a festival of spring, a festival of colors, a festival of love. The festival celebrates the eternal and divine love of Krishna, which is a Hindu god. Um, it also signifies the triumph of good over evil. It celebrates the victory of Vishnu over Hiranayat. Chashapu? No. <laughs> Another god who was evil, okay? So, but the big thing is the celebration of good over evil. I'm just going to take Rangapatang and go for that. That's good. All right? So it's the celebration, the triumph of good over evil, and it's about eternal and divine love, and it's a celebration of love and colors and the spring and all this thing. And holy celebrates the arrival of spring, the end of winter, the blossoming of love for many. It's a festival day to meet others, play and laugh, 
forget and forgive and repair broken relationships. And I was like, yes, happy holy. Happy holy to you and happy holy to you and happy, right? All of these different things. And I know that for many Indian families, this is a cultural fe festival that has religious roots, just like we talked about. Um, and it's probably similar to Christmas for a lot of people, right? Many people celebrate Christmas with this vague recollection that it's attached to the birth of Jesus. And so as I was digging into this, and I was thinking, like, gosh, it's about divine love. It's about good triumphing over evil. Like, something about this seems so similar to our good news, to our gospel. And so then I begin to ask the question, is it the same? Is it the same with just different names of different gods? Is it the same thing? Because our God is a God of divine love. He triumphs of good over evil. We celebrate victory in Jesus uh, over Jesus's victory over sin and death. And so what's the difference between their good news of happy holy and our good news of the resurrected Jesus? Now before you think that I was having a crisis of faith, I was not. Um, this is one of the reasons why I love engaging with other cultures and other religions because, and people from different places that believe different things, because what it does for us is it begins to have us ask questions about our own faiths, to understand it more deeply. Too often in the church we think, oh no, don't ask that question, because we're afraid maybe we won't have an answer. No, here's Paul's answer to the difference between Hindus' understanding of the triumph of good and evil and ours. In Christ, right, in Christ. As I was reading about this holiday, what I realized was for, for, for them, it seemed as though it's this divine drama that plays out between the gods. But Christ, our good news, is that we get invited in. It's not just that good triumphs evil over there, it's that we are invited into this divine story where God blesses us and we enter into this thing. That in Christ, it's not just that God has this, it's we have this. We get chosen. We are adopted. We're redeemed. We're forgiven. We have access to God's will. We are brought to unity. We are a part of God's great praise and his glory. That we are invited into all of this. It's not something that just happens out there as a battle between good and evil, but that we enter into those blessings, that we as humans are not slaves, we are not spectators. We are humans are not just meant to marvel or revel at the gods, but that we are in Christ. We enter into this divine story, and Jesus invites us into himself, not as slaves or as minions, but as sons as heirs, as participating in his glory. This is a totally different type of good news for you and for me. And for the original uh, uh, hearer that Paul is writing to, they get this. They get this, that it's their vi in being invited into Christ and that this is good news. So I want to ask this last question before we wrap up. What would you do if you were confident God was with you? 
if God was in you, if God was for you? What would you do if you understood that God chose you, that you were adopted, redeemed, forgiven? What would you spend your life on if you knew what God's will was? If you knew that all of the disunity is being brought into unity, what would you do if you were confident God was with you? Now, when Paul wraps up this, this, uh, this poem, he ends it in the, with this final verse. He says, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise and his glory. And what Paul is saying is that, listen, what you have right now, you may not have all of this in all of its fullness playing out right in front of you. There still may be some disunity you're experiencing, but what I need you to know is that you are marked with the seal that is the Holy Spirit that what is begun inside of you is going to continue to work itself out into completion. And so when you look at this and you say, well, I don't feel chosen, I don't feel adopted, I haven't forgiven myself, I don't know how all this works, here's what I want to say, that's okay. Because in this process, God has blessed us, that is done and over, but the walking out of that is a part of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so Paul, in this next part that we're going to dive into next week, is talking about what that looks like. What does it look like for the Holy Spirit to have sealed us? How do we move forward in these spaces when we've been told this is what is, but maybe we can't see it yet? How do we walk that out? But today what I want you to hold on to is that God, who has begun a good work in you through Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, will bring it to completion. All right. Let's pray together, and I'm going to invite Zach up, and we're going to sing one more song together. Father God, I am so, so grateful that you are a God who invites us to partake with you, that you are a God who through Christ invites us to be blessed, that we are blessed. And so, Father God, in all of the different spaces and all of the different ways where we are still working that out, where we're still trying to understand that we are adopted, that we are chosen, that we are called. Father God, I ask that you would continue to let us know that you are with us, that you have blessed us, that we are your children. And all of that is possible because we are in Christ. We pray all these things in your holy and your precious name. Amen. Amen. Amen.